production. Hello, it's Sarah. I wanted to let you know about my three new meditations I have made especially for you. If you follow the podcast, you'll know that meditation has been a big part of my life for a long time, so a lot of care has been taken in making these meditations extremely powerful. I've created a 20-minute manifestation meditation to allow you to bring your dreams into reality. Then I've created two 10-minute meditations, one for the morning to help you start your day vitalized and with a clear mind, then an evening meditation to help you have a calm and restful sleep. You can find these three meditations on my website at the shop tab at sarahgrimberg.com. Vance Joy is one of Australia's most prolific musicians whose songs have captivated audiences around the globe for many years. Vance is wise and spending time with him, I was fortunate enough to see a side behind the music and glamour that shines with warmth and humility. This conversation traverses many realms. It's about what happens when desire meets deeds, the power of commitment to persistent personal growth, and navigating the waves of grief. I don't always have moments where I'm like, wow, look how far I've come, or isn't this crazy to be in front of this many people? The feeling that I get that I kind of am most excited by, and that maybe it's electricity in the crowd, it might even be like you look over at your band and you see your drummer really going for it, or some kind of little moment, and then you get chills, and that's like the best. So more of those, more of those, please. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is a life of greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life, and hopefully yours too. Vance Joy's new album is called In Our Own Sweet Time. Some of its tracks include Don't Fade, Clarity and Missing Pieces, which has almost reached triple platinum in Australia and its video has already amassed 5 million views. This conversation at its core is about community and the experiences that shape who we become. And it's about the deep personal satisfaction that comes with contributing beyond ourselves. Vance is someone I've wanted to interview for a while and this conversation won't disappoint. May this episode inspire you to realise how powerful love is and that in every moment we all have the ability to lean into it. Welcome, Vance Joy, but it's actually James Keogh that is the name that your parents called you. You grew up in Melbourne, Australia, where I am now, and you went to St Kevin's, which is a Catholic boys' school, I would like to know, was religion a big part of your life growing up? It was at the start, like in the way of, you know, when you're in primary school and you go to a Catholic primary school and I think we'd go to mass on Sundays pretty regularly. I remember being like four or five years old and around that time, maybe for a couple of years, I remember just being like not that psyched about going and just sitting in the in the church and being kind of, just kneeling and standing and sitting and kneeling. It felt like it went forever, especially for like your kid's attention span. And then I, I was an altar boy when I was um, seven or eight and I, I joined in on that because it got you out of class. Yes. You know, and, and so that would happen after, after recess on during the weekdays. It would be like maybe once a week. 
you would go straight from recess to the church, which was next door to the school, put on your robe and like do And honestly, I never even really learned the way to do it. Like I would just, there was a part where you hold a candle. So I'd hold like the candle, the candlesticks next to the person doing a reading. And then there was also ringing the bells. I never knew when to ring the bells. So they never gave me that duty. It was like, there was some kind of thing when he's like, and the thing, the Corinthians, and then you have to ring the bells. But I, I never knew. I never was listening, you know. Yes. So. I, I remember I really liked Christmas Mass because it was like there was like a nativity scene thing going on and dressing up and just the excitement of basically Christmas tomorrow, which was great. Yeah, and then in high school, like we had masses every Friday morning. There was like a chapel. It's hard to know how how deep that got into me yeah. and how how influenced I am by it, uh, by the teachings and that kind of thing. But I don't really consider myself a Catholic or a religious person, but. It's an interesting, there's a lot of um, the stories and some of the imagery, it's, it's in there, you know. Yes. I wonder for you, you obviously went to an all-boys school and I actually went to the sister school of St Kevin's, so I did all the plays with St Kevin's and it was like, a, it, it was a fabulous school. Yeah. Um, how was going to a single-sex school? How did you find that? Yeah, I think, I guess I went from primary school where until about, grade five and there was girls there and it's kind of a bit exciting having girls at school because because you had a crush and everyone often everyone had a crush on the same person um and then like yeah going to all boys school didn't really think about how it was different but it you know I, I was probably hanging out with the boys at my primary school before I went to St Kevin's anyway it was like boys and girls kind of thing but every now and then people would play you know play a game with everyone involved but I just remember, yeah, just I, I was awkward, I think, and it's like a weird mix of, like, confidence and you're just so naive that you're just kind of doing your thing but also incredibly shy and embarrassed at all moments. So I just remember, yeah, 14, 15, like, interactions with girls and it just makes me think of being stressed out and a bit sweaty and, like, nervous and and just, yeah, saying crazy stuff and not being able to kind of... I don't know. Maybe it's maybe that it's just a natural rite of passage. But when I think of, I don't know if any of that stuff could have been avoided by having girls at school. Maybe I would have been exactly the same and equally as awkward. Yes. But, um, I just think of like yeah, fifteen dance classes with yes. uh, the girls' school. <laughs> it was like <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah. At the like, church, yeah. and then you were like in <laughs> yeah. a row, and then the next person came up and you had to dance with them. That was in your nine. I mean, in hindsight, it's quite bizarre, but at the time yeah. you were really looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, I would look for, I would look forward to that too, and in, in like a like nervous excitement way, and all the guys are like chucking on deodorant before they yes. go to the the dance, and the, the way they line us up and. Yeah, and it's a, again, there's like probably some person that you're excited to dance with, yes. you know, 50 metres down the line, you're kind of like looking and that's, it's like sweaty Palm Central, right? So yes. far out. <laughs> oh, that, that takes me back actually. Whoa, those were the days. Are you close <laughs> to your family? How was your upbringing? I'm very close. You know, I don't speak to them all the time. Some people speak all the time on the phone to their family and I probably would be doing that a bit more if I was in Melbourne, but... When I am in Melbourne, I spend like every moment I can with my folks. So I, I even prefer to even just stay at their house because I've got I've got a place in Northcote. But if you know, recently when I've been back in Australia, 
and my girlfriend hasn't come with me. So I've kind of just, it's either staying at home by myself or hanging out with mum and dad. So I've just preferred just going to their place and it's much more comfortable and don't even think, but you know, all the food is like scheduled almost. Yes. Like I wake up in the morning and dad's like, oh, I made some extra porridge and it's like, oh, okay, cool. So yeah, I'm, I'm very close with them and they just got, they just recently got a little dog and my sister is also in Melbourne and yeah, super close with her. I would say she's one of my best mates and my older brother's in Sydney as well and we're, we're pretty close as well. And I wonder for you, when did you start becoming interested in music? Because I know that you 12, you were the school captain and you went on to study law. So when did music come into it? Yeah, music, my dad was just always kind of motivating me or pushing me, I would say, to get lessons and learn an instrument. And so he tried and failed a few times, but when I was like 11, I, I first I got piano lessons and I did that um, and I, I was kind of like bored, bored in it, but also every now and then there'd be a song that I would like and I would actually learn it. But I didn't like theory. And then in year nine, my dad was like, you're gonna get a guitar lesson. Here's your guitar. He got me this like cute little Fender electric guitar, but it's like the imitation one. It's called yeah. a Squire. It was a Squire Strat and it comes with a little amp. I would play that and I kind of got into just like covering, you know, Nirvana riffs and Metallica riffs and all the kind of classics. And also just seeing other kids playing guitar would inspire me because I'd be like, wow, they're so good. They're so much better than me. And like, I want to do that. And then it was always there in the background. I was kind of like the kid that would play a cover and go to a party or go to a, you know, if guys were hanging out at someone's house, I would, if there was a guitar, I'd play a few songs and like play and sing. That was when I was about 15. So I was always doing that. And then I would kind of, when I was school captain, there'd be opportunities to like sing a song and it'd be like kind of like a parody song or something. So yeah. I'd sing something about what was happening in school or whatever and change the lyrics. Yeah, it was the year 12 social or whatever they call it, like the um, the dance. Yeah, and the formal. I brought it, it's the formal. And I remember I had to shake everyone's hands on the way in. I had special duties, you know, my partner, my friend Rose came with me and so we had to shake every couple's hand on the way in. And then I sung Time of Your Life by Green Day, but lyrics about the preparations for the formal and how there was a lot of girls that looked kind of orange. And I don't know, it was just, I was just, yeah. But I really enjoyed making silly songs. And so I think that's where that idea, that thing of like putting words in the right places and yes. finding the, the rhythms and finding like the rhymes, that's where I, I, it, got, it got started. I know for myself from a young age, all I wanted to do was acting and I did it with the, at the plays with St Kevin's Boys and then went on into university to do <clears> acting and got an agent and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not an actor now, but I went into a field of media and I knew somewhere in the back of my mind that somehow I would get there. I didn't know how, but I <clears> knew that that would be it <clears> for me. And I had a lot of other jobs along the way. Was there a point when you were young that you had that same feeling where you thought, I feel like music will be the place for me one day? When I was little, I, I think I just had kind of vague ambitions. I didn't think I want to be like a singer in a band or I want to make it in music. I didn't, all I knew is I loved playing guitar and I think I just liked being performing in, in some capacity in front of people. I really liked drama as well. I feel like I hit my peak in drama when I was about 13 or 14. <laughs> Why? I think I don't know. I just think I, I just reached my peak of like 
unselfconscious performance and like yes. really going, giving myself over to whatever the task was. Like the teacher was like, you're a little kid, you're terrified, you feel like there's a monster under your bed. And I'll just be like, I feel like I was just really like delivering the, the unselfconscious <laughs> vibe. So then, and then, so I enjoyed that. And then I enjoyed doing speeches. I think I liked being in front of people and having the attention. I didn't even know if everything would be okay. I just think I had, it was like in every job I had after high school, I just realized I, I really didn't give that much effort or, or anything to it. I could never pick up the drinks orders on time at the bar I worked at. I was just really like a bad hospitality person. And even at university, I felt like I was, I was kind of doing the bare minimum to get through. And, you know, I was playing sport and doing more than the bare minimum, but yeah, honestly, it's it's funny. I didn't have an idea that everything was going to be good, but I did have maybe there was some kind of thing of like I'm trying to think of it in a way that isn't doesn't sound bad, but it's like if someone saw me, they'd be like, "Why does this guy think he's so good? Like, what does he know something that we don't like? He's just working <laughs> at a call center." Like, but he, I, there is no evidence, and even if the path hasn't quite got there, there's an inner knowing. <clears throat> there's an <throat> inner knowing that you'll somehow you you might end up doing what you really enjoy, and for you that that was music and when I spoke with Ricardo and McConaughey, they all kind of had that knowing. They didn't exactly know how they'll get there, but they had the knowing that they'll land in the right place. That's a, a good way of putting it. Yeah, I feel like there's something like that. You know, I started to actually do something, like maybe record some of my songs and like make a little plan. It might have just been save up enough money, book a studio space. For once I did have a couple of songs, then it, it really unfolded quite quickly and, and uh, the path was open. So it was surprisingly possible. I don't know if, and, and it's funny to have that experience because it kind of gives you this optimism about how things can work. Yeah. But some people are like, you know, and then someone's like, oh, I want to try and do this. And you're like, yeah, but you can just, just do this and then it should just all fall into place. And it doesn't always work like that. I don't know if it's just because you're lucky or maybe it is that, that knowing that sets you apart. I feel also that I always talk to people about how if we talk about manifestation or something like that, it's not you just pray and hope for the best and then it happens. There's this hard work that's involved. Or I shouldn't say hard, there's work that's involved. Like I work my ass off to put this podcast together and for it to do what it needs to do. And mm. I'm assuming that you loved music and you practised a lot and you mm. put yourself out there to get gigs and did all that kind of stuff. You weren't just not practising and just left it. And you think of someone like Michael Jordan, he started off not being great and then he worked his ass off and he's, you know, one mm. of the best basketballers in the world. Yeah, you put the work in and that that's true. Like I think it took, took me just to kind of stumble upon my first decent song to get a bit hooked on songwriting and I was yeah. I would have been 21 or 22 and I was playing at home and you know I had tried to write songs before but they all they didn't they didn't have a spark or a, any any magic really and so they weren't really enjoyable to listen to for anyone else you know I was I would be excited about them because I was like look what I just did but there was a leap between that and something decent that people would want to hear so I just stumbled upon a song one day called Winds of Change and I and it just the chorus kind of was kind of unfolding in front of me. I got a bit of help with the lyrics from my mum actually because I was just stuck at a certain point and she gave me a line and I sang the line. It was like wow. I got like chills like I was like whoa this feels good. My voice is 
reaching a crescendo and it feels like I created something that was kind of good. And then from then I, I got addicted. And that's, I think when I started putting even more work in, I, I got really, I was chasing down every idea, thinking about it all the time and trying to write songs kind of in my head a lot as well, recording things into my phone. And that was like five years of, of doing that. Just wow. having this kind of, this kind of private little world of songwriting going on. And do you still do that now? I do that a little bit now. I feel like I, if, if I'm honest, like that has not, is not quite as present in my life at the moment. Like I feel like I can still write songs and I think my output has probably been similar. I think I've lost a little bit of that frenzied hunger where I'm just always like, oh, is this the, is this the gold idea? Is this the gold idea? And, and often those, those ideas that I, that I would get kind of seduced by would turn into nothing, but I was just on the path. So now maybe I'm better at recognising a good idea and a bad idea, I don't know. I still got a bunch of ideas in my phone, but it's a little less the pure focus of everything I do. It's, it's kind of, it is there, it's ticking away, but it's not um, tormented by ideas in the night and coming up and waiting. I, I kind of wish that I was a little bit because there is something cool about that. And yes. I feel like sometimes when I'm not doing that, I'm like, I'm sure Chris Martin is you know, awake <laughs> at 3 a.m. <laughs> you know, I'm sure he's just had another idea for a hit song, so... Maybe it's like this inner trust that you have within yourself. Once you've succeeded, you know that you can do it. And Mm. the ability's in there, so you you don't need to kind of do those little things that you did at the beginning. You change. Yeah, I'm a little less superstitious about things. I used to be worried I'm going to forget this idea and all that kind of stuff. And I think, um, I mean, I'm a little less... uh, holding onto them as as quite as tightly. Like if the, the ideas will come... I had like an analogy, it was like maybe Tom Waits talking about really being frustrated because he was driving home one day and he heard, in his head, he heard the best idea for a song ever. He didn't have a pen, there was no pen in the car, he couldn't write it down. Often I think those, those good ideas will resurface. Well, yes. I like to tell myself that anyway. Yeah. I know that you have read a lot <clears throat> of work by the British philosopher Alan Watts. He's been sort of an influence on your life mm. and I wonder... What are the principles of his that you tend to live by? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I read some and listened to a lot as well. I find him really relaxing and, and kind of calming. And I remember it would have been the start of 2014. And around the end of 2013, I'd, I'd just been doing so much promo. Riptide had kind of was doing its thing around the world and getting played on radio stations in America. And as a result, I was just playing the song at so many places, like radio stations, whatever, three or four in a day, and yeah. flying in different places, trying to do some touring as well. And we just didn't know what my limits were physically. So I would catch a flight from America to London and then get off the plane, drive to the venue, and then just play a gig like straight away. And that kind of stuff is, is okay if, <laughs> wow. you're, if you really know how to warm your voice up and you you're treating it like you're an athlete but it, and I wasn't like singing is the easiest thing ever like I don't even have to prepare at all I can have a few beers have a ciggy and then like sing <laughs> yeah. and it's just, I'm just it's just like yeah. I'm hanging out I'm hanging out yeah. constantly getting getting in a car driving but it, it was exhausting it took its toll and I lost my voice for a little bit it just needed to rest and at the start of 2014 I was just recovering from uh, just I, all I got was a cortisone injection into my vocal cords which isn't really that drastic but I still was coming back 
I couldn't really hit the high notes and I was at a hotel in the, I did this like random promo tour. I went to like Peoria in near Chicago, which is like kind of middle of nowhere. A couple of other middle of nowhere places. I was in Boise, Idaho. And I remember sitting in the hotel room and I was just like, far out. I can't even sing the high notes. And I was getting a bit stressed, kind of thinking about all the things I had to do in the next bit of time. I put on Alan Watts. He just makes you a bit more relaxed. He kind of, I find him to be relaxing and I, I've always felt, feel in tune with the things that he says, the thing that I think about and kind of the lesson that I always try to tell my sister or anyone is he talks about um, the tree and like mm. there's like a tree and it's snowing. The snow starts collecting on the branch and if the branch is nice and floppy, the snow just falls down and then the branch kind of gives way under the pressure and then snaps back and it's like flexible. And then if it's really rigid, the snow collects and it snaps. Yeah. So I try and I always tell my sister, I'm like, Miranda, be the branch. (laughs) Deepak Chopra has the same kind of thing, like be the reed in the wind. And if, because if you're the tree, then you're, like you said, you can't move with change and shift with, with the world outside, which is always moving and forever changing. And the only thing we can change or we can control our internal world. And when things mm. get a bit hectic for me, I, I always say to my friends, be what Deepak said, be like the reed. <laughs> I've got to be like the reed. And as funny as it is, it does make a lot of sense though because, I mean, with COVID and everything that's happened at times, it can feel like it's a bit too much. So when we are trying mm. to be flexible, it, it, it's really helpful to hear things like that. And yeah, it is, it is, you put it well, like, yeah, your your own internal, keep monitoring your own reactions and stuff before I I find it's hard to catch my own ego reactions to stuff before they get out, trying to keep, especially in relationships and stuff. So I find that's a good one. Obviously, Michael Gadinsky was a huge part of music in Australia, an absolute icon, and he obviously passed away. How you dealt with that, with the grief, knowing that he was such a supporter of yours, and he, especially in your early days, there was a story that I read when I was doing research about, I think everyone was talking in a bar or something like that and you were singing and he was the <laughs> one that was there clapping, knowing yeah. how amazing you were. It's like he just had this knack of discovering people. He just knew that they would be fabulous as you are. How was that that time for you and how did you navigate yeah. that grief? Um, it was a shock and I think, yeah, knowing Michael, he's, it's like Ed Sheeran was saying, he's a force of nature. So he's, He's such a larger-than-life person, so passionate. So, yeah, it was a, it was kind of a shock to know that for him to die and he leaves a huge empty space, I think, in the sky, you know, because everyone who knows him, he, he's such a so magnetic and so many people loved him. So um, for me it was, it was just, a, you know, a sad time, but I have so many great memories with him and, and I don't know him as closely as some artists and then his close friends. So I was, I became aware of just how, how big he was for some people. I don't know, I've got some great memories with Michael, like the first gig I played, my early days of playing open mic nights and I would play at a, a Spanish tapas bar in Smith Street. He came to one of my early ones. 
it was like, yeah, people eating dinner. I was super nervous because I knew that he was coming and my manager was like, Michael Gidinski is going to come. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Like I've played like two of these little um, Spanish bar gigs and Michael's, Michael's coming, you know. I was very untried. So I knew he was coming. I was super nervous. I remember driving and driving all the way there and I hadn't met him yet either. But he sat right near the front. There was like an, a, people talking nearby and Michael was telling people to shh. <laughs> Oh, bless him. <laughs> yeah. And he just sat there and, you know, was bobbing his head along. I guess that's a, a lovely image of the guy because I think other artists described him as kind of like their mascot and like supporter that's like it's all love, you know, like, you know, your parent coming. You kind of want to see your parent at your football yeah. game or your sporting event. Yeah, he, he was always just giving – it's always kind of joy and love and good vibes. After the show, he'd be like, oh, yeah, that's great. You don't really understand what he's saying half the time because he speaks in the kind of like husky voice that's going all over the place and speaks kind of quickly. And especially early on, I, I wasn't tuned into the frequency, so I was kind of just like, <laughs> okay, okay. That sounds like everything's going well. Yeah, but he would just give you that kind of support. And so that was the first encounter and I felt like that was just replicated a bunch of times. Yeah. I played to a yeah, pizza restaurant or Italian restaurant in one night. He was doing a big industry get-together or something and he had lots of other people from the industry there having dinner and I came and played at the ed edge of the table. I was basically standing on the street playing to the people inside the <laughs> restaurant. That was cool and, you know, he's kind of like getting everyone to be interested and it was cool. It was just like celebrating like uh, milestones of maybe a song went platinum or something like that, album went gold, platinum. Yeah, it's just a very colourful guy. Kind of almost like a childlike joy and yeah. there's no phoniness. It's yes. just like very sincere. the attention, very sincere. Like I remember just, just playing silly games like while we're at dinner. Those are the things that stick with me and it kind of, um, yeah, I want to be like that. I want to yeah. have that same kind of approach to life. I think, it, yeah, he was just being himself and, and being totally authentic. James, you've got a new album called In Our Own Sweet Time and it's phenomenal work. Some of the songs include Don't Fade, Clarity and my personal favourite, which is Missing Pieces. Because when I You're touring in September and November this year in Australia and there's a lot of overseas people that listen to this podcast. So 2023, you'll be in Canada, US and UK. And what I'd like to know is when you're on stage, you've played to huge stadiums and obviously when you've toured with other people, you have also played to big, big stadiums. What goes through your head when you see a million of those cameras like light up people put them in in the air and are you ever just taken aback like I can't believe how far I've come or how do I capture this moment how does it feel mm. it feels great I mean I think uh, the more I do it the more I can kind of enjoy the moment I just want to keep getting better at performing live and I I feel like very comfortable on stage at the moment so when you see people lifting up their phones or like creating some mood lighting maybe it's all black and and they put on their lights you get a kick and I've got to tell myself not to rush through the song because I'm like yeah oh they're, they're doing this thing like they're interacting like do I have to do anything differently or do I just sing the song you know it's like just sing the song like don't worry about there's a voice in my head that's total always got a little commentary going like kind of aware of 
the the vibe in the crowd and being like, oh, should I, should I do this? Should I talk? So, and I think the more excited I am, the more that voice is like, what should you say in the next break between the next song? Should you say this? And it's like, and I'm like, shut, shut that voice up. So I don't always have moments where I'm like, wow, look how far I've come or isn't this crazy to be in front of this many people? But the, the feeling that I get that I kind of am most excited by and the, the, the feeling I think that is the best on stage is just getting chills. Yeah. You know, maybe playing with your band and, yeah, for whatever reason you get overcome by the excitement and the emotion and, and that feeling. Maybe it's electricity in the crowd. It might even be like you look over at your band and you see your drummer really going for it or some kind of little moment and then you get chills and that's like the best so more of those more of those please do you ever get nervous anymore i get a little bit nervous i wasn't very nervous on this last six or seven weeks i'd like to maybe put myself in more situations where i'm nervous or at least to know you know what's possible like uh, performance wise on stage i want to i want to go back to the 14 year old kid in year eight drama class Get back that kind of um, kind of comfort in yourself, and just that you're kind of like just can go for it a bit, and just well, be totally in the in the moment, absorbed in the in the thing you're doing. So well, you know it's there because yeah. you've experienced it before. <laughs> yeah, so it's about yeah, tapping yeah. back into that. Yeah, I need to tap back into that. No, because Mr. Byrne gave me an A in drama, <laughs> so he Bless said that he, man. he saw. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, so. Sorry, I got a bit distracted. I got I went down the drama path and I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> you, were, you were embodying what you what you were back then. <laughs> I wonder for you, obviously you're very busy and you're constantly touring, but balance and fun. You mentioned Gandinsky before and it sounded like he had a lot of fun, but that's obviously something that's very important mm. too. How do you find balance and, and fun in your life? I was just talking to my girlfriend um, she, yesterday. She was saying, like, how good were summer holidays when you're in high school or even, you know, primary school and you get that three-month break. Yeah, yeah. And that feeling of endless kind of holidays. And and I was kind of like, I'm kind of like always on holidays. I can, you know, do some songwriting sessions. And then right now I haven't really got a tour planned until a little bit later this year. So I've got – I do have that summer break. I, but I don't feel like I'm in high school. Like I don't feel like yes. I'm, about, I'm embarking on, like, this freedom, you know, necessarily – so I don't know if that's just a thing that happens when you, you grow up and you kind of have a few more responsibilities and you've got some things that you've just got to do, like maybe it's some visa paperwork you have to fill out, which is what I've got to do. And so that's kind of occupying my brain. But Frisbee's pretty good. Went to the, yeah. the beach and played Frisbee. Yeah, hanging out with friends, kind of aimlessly wandering around. That's also good. So... I think I, I just, I love playing sport and stuff like that. I think I'm just kind of like, I want to have that same thing that I had when I was 15, when I was like excited about holidays, but maybe it's right in front of me. I'm just not aware of it. But the fact that you do keep that balance and fun in your life and you're not just head down, got to make new music, got to do this, fretting the whole time about I've got to yeah. be bigger or you seem to be quite all-rounded in everything that you do and you still are obviously extremely successful. Yeah, I look at other artists and I'm like, like I listen to the, listen to this other podcast. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, it's called And The Writer Is and it's songwriters, kind of like hit makers who talk yeah. about the pro- their process and the way they approach their songwriting. And, and I listened to the one with Ryan Tedder from One Republic and he's written a, a bunch of big hits. Like he wrote Halo for Beyonce. 
countless hits. Like he's always got a song like at the top of the charts. And um, he writes a song. He does a songwriting session every day, like every day of the week, wow. essentially. And I'm like, far out. I'm so far away from this guy. I would be like, yeah, I do a session like once a month, almost. And I can write my own songs by myself as, as well, but it's just I've got such a different approach and I'm kind of like, should I be doing that thing? But, yeah, I, I look at the way it's going and it's going good. I'm not really striving too hard to, like, be the biggest. I still want to write popular songs and I want to make music that's connecting with a lot of people and if someone was like, you could write a song tomorrow and it'd be a like, huge hit song, I'd be like... Let's do that. That sounds awesome. I don't approach it in that kind of business-like manner yes. where I'm like, I can't relax and enjoy whatever I've got. Not, not saying that those guys don't. It's just their hunger might be bigger or yeah. they've just got a different kind of work ethic. So You've got a good balance yeah. to it. What's the best advice that you've ever been given? I got some good advice from Bernard Fanning when I was, on, I was opening up for him on his tour in 2013. It was kind of like I was saying that frenzied songwriting thing where I was stressing about what, what's my next song going to be? How am I going to finish an album? How am I going to have another popular song? And I was just going to my hotel room every day after the show, before the show, before soundcheck. And I'd be in there just hammering out guitar ideas and trying to write songs. But kind of banging my head against the wall as well. Like, I don't even know. None of my ideas are good. You know, I can't write a decent song. And, and he's just like, it's fine. They're just obstacles. Keep pushing through, like, you know, eventually you'll, you'll have a breakthrough. It kind of just gave me some perspective, I guess. If I don't write a song for a while and I have, I'm like, am I, do I have writer's block? Will I ever write a song again? I don't even really get worried anymore. I, I did used to get worried about that. I, I, it's very practical advice. Yes. Just to stick at it. What is a life of greatness to you? I guess one aspect of it could be the quality of your relationships with people. Mm. Like if you're a good friend and you know, a good partner, a good son or daughter or parent or whatever. So I feel like, I don't know if I'm the best friend, like if, in terms of being always in touch, but I try and be a pretty reliable friend and give positive vibes to people. And yeah, just kind of the encounters that you have with people, try to make them um, genuine and, you know, someone hopefully leaves an encounter with you with good energy and not you're not putting anything, you're not bringing anyone down or meaningful and positive relationships even if it's just encounters as well but just putting good energy out there that's the way I like to approach it or hope to. James Keogh thank you for all the beautiful music that you've given so many people I mean for someone that is not that old you've really I think without even meaning to been a, such a gift of service to people that you will never even meet so Thank you for being such an amazing artist and Australian icon. It's been a pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you, Sarah. What a pleasure. That's cool. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to sarahgrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. 
Audio producers Matt Curry and Nicola Sitch. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search a Life of Greatness podcast, download the new listener app now and listen for free.